0: Welcome to The Seventeen. This is a podcast dedicated to sustainability. It's structured around the UN's 17 Sustainable Development Goals. They represent, in essence, a plan to save the planet. I'm Kate Hutchinson and I'm the founder of Yorkshire Sustainability Week. My vision is to help the UK's regions play their part in delivering a sustainable future. Each episode of The 17 is themed around a different one of the UN Sustainable Development Goals. That's why it's called The 17. A new episode drops every month, on the 17th of course. Each episode I'll be joined by a great guest who has real expertise and influence related to one of those UN Sustainable Development Goals. We will try and explain to you why the goal is important, what the current situation is and what actions we can take as an individual regional and even global level to make progress it's episode one and we're diving straight in and tackling goal number six which is clean water and sanitation ensure availability and sustainable management of water and sanitation for all my guest is uniquely positioned to tackle this subject from all kinds of levels professionally she's a fellow and former president of the chartered institution of water and environmental management in terms of influence, she's the host of the number one Earth Sciences podcast in the UK, Planet Possible. And personally, she's in the middle of building a house for her family that will be harvesting rainwater for its plumbing. This woman knows her water. It's Nikki Roach. <laughs> <I like> it. <laughs> Hi, Nikki. Welcome to The 17. Hi,
1: Kate. Thank you very much for having me. It's quite an intro. Nikki,
0: tell me how passionate you are about water and the role it's played in your
1: life. I mean, I'm, I'm geekily passionate about it and unapologetically so these days, really. So, yeah, right from... Actually, I think when I reflect on it, it all began early teens. Mum and dad used to take us to the Elam Valley in uh, in Wales, where Birmingham gets its water from, controversially. And I was just fascinated by seeing dams, by just understanding how it all worked, really. And that's probably when I began to get interested in water. I did geography at university and spent lots of time in and around rivers. And just I, I was really interested by the way that the environment and the built environment and the natural environment kind of connect really and just understanding the landscape so always loved it then spent the last 20 plus years working in the water sector or around the water sector in the UK I went to Burkina Faso in 2006 to see the work of water aid so I've seen kind of a little bit of the work of of water if you like outside of a UK context and then yeah, as you mentioned, slightly bonkers project that has occupied my brain for the last two years. We're trying to build this low water footprint, low carbon house. So, yeah, I like water. <laughs> <It's> better,
0: <so. laughs> Tell me a bit more about the house, because I'm really, really interested in this. And I'm sure a lot of people are.
1: I mean, it would have been easy to just stay where we were. We were very happy. But we just had this little this little itch to scratch, really, just to see what was possible. It is definitely not a grand design. We wanted to do something like modest and achievable but explore what was possible in a suburban location, building a kind of eco home and just testing the boundaries, really, knowing that we probably know a little bit more than the average person, perhaps in terms of water. So we're doing a mix of things. We are, as you said, we're putting in rainwater harvesting, so our toilets and our washing machine will all flush with rainwater that we'll collect off the roof. And then we've got a few other technologies that are connecting as well. Trying to do low water and low carbon, because the big thing for me right, is that when you talk about eco-homes, people think about energy, and we're doing energy stuff, you know, air yes. source and solar panels and MVHR, which is heat recovery. But when I went and talked to architects and passive house designers about water, they all said, "Don't worry about water. It's not that important, but six percent of our carbon emissions in the U.K. come from heating water in the home. Six percent. Yes, it's massive, isn't it? So water is important, and we use a pharmaceutical quality product for flushing our toilet. Watering our gardens, washing our cars. It just seems crazy to me. So it was really important. Of course, we do the energy stuff. That kind of goes without saying. But we wanted to put water into the mix because I do think it's just not part of the dialogue yet. And it needs to be. You did ask.
0: No, that's why (laughs) I asked because I completely agree with you because you're absolutely spot on. Every time I think of. So like our dream is also to one day build an eco Mm -hmm. home. And I have to be honest, we've completely been focused on the energy and not on how we're gonna, you know, harvest water, what can we do to utilize the water source that we've got coming from rainwater, etc. So I think it's very interesting when people think about the future and the way that we're gonna build our homes, etc., to have to factor in all of those things. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean it's great. That's part of what we're trying to do. We've got a little Instagram account. Certainly not to become Instagram influencers, more just to be able to kind of evangelise <laughs> about look, like, this is possible, but also it's not that yes. easy. And and part of what I'm trying to show Is that it is a bit tricky and I don't think it should be. So, how do we just have more conversations about it to make it easier for people so that they, if they decide they want to just tread a bit more lightly, be that building a house or just making minor changes to their existing house, then how do we just make those minor changes that can make a big difference? So, that's the stuff that we're trying to talk about and share as much as possible.
0: So, you've worked in the water industry, you've touched on that very, very gently. You've been president of a chartered institution whose members are experts in the water and environmental management scene. You've spoken with people working within water across the world on Planet Possible, and now you're obviously changing the way you're living in order to, to create this sustainable house that's focused around water.
1: How have all of these different angles changed your understanding of it? I mean, that's a, that's a big question, and it's constantly evolving. I think the first thing I would say is that I I do not, in any way I think i've got all the answers. so the joy of planet possible and i always say this is it's like the best professional development going for me. like i get to talk to all these amazing experts and i'm sure as your wonderful podcast starts to grow you'll find exactly the same you learn all sorts. like on a global level what it's made me realize we've talked to, we've had some great guests. so we had Tripti Rai who is the program director for water aid in Nepal. really interesting conversation about how actually when covid hit over there the hand washing message was really straightforward to get out because They were already having conversations about the importance of hand washing and hygiene. So actually just talking about it for COVID was no different to normal. Really interesting conversations with some of the guys in Aotearoa in New Zealand about a concept called Tamana Otawai, which basically means putting the health of the river first. So that's enshrined in their laws in Aotearoa, New Zealand. So when they think about building, when they think about development, they have to think about what's this going to do for the health of the river before anything else like with with that view that the health of the waterways is life-sustaining for everything else. So I guess for me, I mean, one of the things the POD's done certainly in having these conversations is reminded me that we definitely don't have all the answers in the UK either. And mm-hmm. lifting our eyes up mm-hmm. and listening to what others are doing globally, and then, you know, stealing with pride those bits of best practice and thinking, what could that mean for our sector? So that might mean the future of our uh, sanitation in the UK might not be using water. You know, we use a pharmaceutical quality product to flush our toilet. Well, maybe that isn't the best solution for that, but you know, just thinking a bit, a bit more differently and, and learning from others and making us really question the decisions that we take in the UK and think, is this the most sustainable long-term solution? So that's, I guess, globally. I'm loving just kind of hearing all of these ideas and then reflecting on what that might mean for the UK context. Yeah,
0: definitely. I think that's really, really interesting, like you say about that, um, you know, the culture that you were describing, the Maori Mm. culture, where they're focused on what is best for the river Mm. first. Our country would so benefit from taking this perspective of what's the best thing for nature before we make a yeah. move here. And I do think that there's a change coming. You know, I'm noticing it myself in the way that we're mm. living. We're noticing more about what we're using, how we're using it, etc., and trying to be more efficient in every single way possible. And I'm sure everybody's doing the same.
1: I guess just to build on that for me, the most in- interesting thing is the, is the people that are not having these conversations, right? So I'm doing quite mm. an extreme thing and I do recognize that. And actually economically it's not a very sensible thing rainwater harvesting for example does not pay back financially i couldn't in good faith recommend rainwater harvesting at the moment to the majority of people right i would love that to be different and there's lots of things and we can maybe get into it that would need to change to make that work but the people that are just on the cusp of thinking about these things or even not even listening those are the really exciting conversations to have so there'll be some people that will always want to make the right environmental decision and that is amazing how do we reach the people that are not interested and how do we reduce the inertia so even if you're not interested you'll still make a better decision and then that comes down to maybe better product design a better price point more accessibility of the product it shouldn't be harder it shouldn't be more expensive it shouldn't be more complicated to make a good choice for the planet but at the moment that's kind of where we are, I think, really. So how do we have those other conversations? That's a really interesting stuff, I think.
0: Yeah, definitely. I completely agree with you on And I think what, one of the things that's really interesting to me at the moment is I read something last week about how we're now in the position where the energy that we get from solar panels and the energy that we get from wind is actually cheaper than the energy that we get from coal mines, from... Fossil fuels, yeah, absolutely. Fossil fuels, exactly that, you know. And it's actually cheaper Mm -hmm. now for us to not use fossil fuels, which is really, really interesting, isn't it? But we're not set up as a country for things like electric Mm -hmm. cars, you know. So the electric car movement is a great example of something that's really, really brilliant for the future, but we're not set up yet. So what can we do? You're absolutely right, Nikki. It's what can we do to actually create the infrastructure? So you've talked globally. Let's talk about within the UK, what's happening within the UK and what could we be doing better?
1: Well, I mean, there is quite a lot of activity, I think it's fair to say. And what I see in the main are extremely passionate, extremely committed individuals who are focused on doing the right thing for customers and the environment. So it's really hard to see the sector under so much scrutiny at the moment and it's a bit heartbreaking because I think the difficulty is there's no real nuance in that message. So that's not me saying the water sector is perfect. Far from it. And I am delighted that actually you touched on it, I think, well you implied anyway, there's a change coming. Things like storm overflows, you know, sort of sewage pollution in rivers. BBC documentaries, you know, you'll get Gary Lineker tweeting about it. Like that is now moving into a mainstream topic. If I'd said to you five years ago, should we have a, a, a bit of a chat about storm overflows, Kate? I would imagine probably your face would have been quite understandably like blank. So I think, <laughs> I think there is a move coming. The only thing that I guess maybe breaks my heart a little bit is that there's no nuance in that conversation. There are shades of grey in storm overflows. There is loads of activity happening. And also, we've got to think about how much we value our environment and how much we value water and that's not just a UK conversation I think that is a a global conversation and also a local conversation when it comes to things like bills for water companies if we think about the conversations we've had about electricity prices recently and then I said to you do you know what you pay do you know what you pay roughly for your water bill every year so we pay 40 pounds a month so the average bill in the UK is about 440 quid for water and sewerage and in the in the raft of bills that we pay it's not actually that significant and water companies are talking about maybe putting up bills You know out to 2050 by maybe a maximum of 65 pounds a year so those are the sort of scales we're talking about but quite understandably in a a cost of living crisis environment there's challenge about putting those bills up and that's where for me it comes back to yeah well how much do we value the environment how much are we willing to pay and also how do we think differently about the way that we pay for water so maybe we need to think about social tariffs so actually Maybe you get a certain mm-hmm. amount of water completely free. Maybe we give everybody 50 litres a day, and on average, we use between about 120 and 140, give or take. Maybe we say everyone can have a certain amount for free, and then we do something different with our pricing. For me, there's, we've got to be equitable in the way that we do this, but also we've got to value yes. the water that we use. And I think what's starting to happen is the conversation, certainly in a national context, is coming round to, hang on, we really value our environment, Okay. Well, how much do we value it? How much are we willing to pay to maintain it or to improve it? And I think that's, that's kind of in the UK context where a lot of the conversation is at the moment.
0: Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I think it's quite dangerous that we're on a set, set okay. fee every that? month because it, it doesn't actually make you think about how much you're using. So our our electricity bill, for example, we're very conscious of how much we're using mm. and what we're doing about it, etc. But because water is just one set fee and it's the same set fee, however mm. much you use every single month. The average Joe in a scenario like that isn't going to watch how much water they're using because they're just paying. Exactly. There's no benefit to reducing their water. There's a lot of interesting conversation. This is the thing that really sparks me off. There's a lot of interesting conversation about how do we actually create an economy of the future? And you touched on it a little bit there, Nikki, in that, you know, do we actually just change the way that you're paying for this so that you start to understand Mm -hmm. the value of it better? And I think there's a lot of very interesting conversations happening within the sustainability sphere that are around new economic models for the future. And I, that's one of the things that yeah. really sparks me off is like, OK, well, actually, I don't think the one that we work under at the moment is fit for purpose. The economic model that we work under at the moment is one of focused on growth all the time. Growth, growth, growth. How do we buy more? How do we spend yeah. more, etc. But it involves utilizing stuff that we do yeah. not need on a mass scale. Because I've watched watched the documentaries like you do on Netflix and all the rest of it. And there are some really interesting statistics, and I'll share some of them with you in just a second, around water and the situation that we're going to be in in only a few years. And if people start to realise that, I think we all will acknowledge that we have to behave differently in the future. And we'll all start to change our behaviours to suit that. And I think that's a really, really interesting conversation. So I'll I'll share some stats around the current situation. 85% of the planet's wetlands have been lost. 3 billion people rely on water that is of an unknown quality. It's not being monitored. Over 700 million people live in countries with high or critical levels of water stress. And without action, it's predicted that in 2030, which is seven years away, 1.9 billion people will lack basic hand hygiene mm-hmm. facilities. They're quite terrifying. Yeah. So how big is the challenge here, Nikki? What are
1: we What are we dealing with? The short answer is it's really big, isn't it? And I think the other thing to add to that is that I think historically we might have heard some of those stats and thought, yeah, but not in the UK. But actually, when you talk about the UK is hugely nature depleted so not just wetlands but you know we've lost all sorts of species our biodiversity is in decline when we think about water stress there's good parts of the UK that are already water stressed we're already thinking about potentially being back in drought situations for large swathes of the UK this summer coming so water stress isn't a thing for a far-flung sub-Saharan country, water stress is here and in the UK right now. I mean, it's wonderful to hear somebody that isn't naturally in the sector talking like this, Kate. It really is. It fills me with a sense of hope. There's something about helping people understand. It's not hopeless. There's things we can do. But it is happening here and it's happening now. And the empty reservoirs that we saw across much of the country last year and the hosepipe bans that affected many of us will probably come again and they'll keep coming and we're going to have warmer Winters, wetter winters, longer, drier summers, the climate is obviously changing. That impact on water is going to be hugely different. So all of the challenges you've talked about are global, but they're very much local as well. And for me, the real opportunity is how do we start making the connection between these ginormous planetary scale, scary challenges... And all right, I turn the telly off and I go back to doing everything the same. What does that mean for me? Doesn't mean I need to build an eco house, though, by all means, if you want to get in touch and I'll happily tell you all my, you know, war stories. But, but what does that mean (laughs) today, tomorrow, next week? What does that mean for those people that have got kids? What are the conversations you have with the kids or if you're around children and how do we get the next generation thinking differently? So, all those incremental gains, those tiny things that we can do. That will make bigger differences, yes. and then what can businesses do that have a bigger impact? It's at all of those levels that we've got to be having those conversations. But your, oh, your passion fills me with hope, Kate, which is wonderful.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think the tide's turning. I can see it. It's exactly why we've moved into this work. You know, I, it was playing on my conscience that I needed to do my part. And so what I've decided to do is to flip my skill and focus on how can I support that industry, the sustainable industry, to grow, to become stronger, to actually start having conversations together and not in silos, etc. Because I think you're absolutely right. It's all about those little incremental yeah. increases that will just help mm. everybody along the way. So I am very, I'm very much on the positive side of, of things. I like, I'm an optimist. I look for, look for the positive as, as you do too with Planet Post possible so tell me what are some signs of hope with
1: the people that you're speaking with i guess one of the big things when i reflected on this a little bit before our conversation is that there are unexpected people having these conversations now and that really does fill me with hope because Mm. actually we've just touched on it haven't we if we want to change things we cannot keep talking to the same people who are already on board like that is not going to change very much at all so we've got to bring new voices in i think when you see, you know, if you watch telly, we're seeing Wild R's, for example, that people are talking about. And that's, you know, RSPB, lots of our NGOs are involved in that. So that's hitting a bigger crowd. You see Matt Damon, for example, Hollywood stars getting involved in programs like Brave Blue World that are films about water. So I think we are starting to see a bit more of a general awareness. Then you've got the kind of pressure groups that we talked about pushing for inland bathing water designations, pushing for a reduction or a complete elimination in storm overflows. So actually, that's captured people's attention. And I think not everything we hear is correct. And that, I guess, when you're inside the sector is really, it's like anything, you know, if you, if you work in an organisation and you understand it, and then you hear people criticising it, and what they're saying isn't completely correct, it's really hard to hear. But actually, it's much easier to help have a conversation if people are interested than to deal with apathy, I think. So actually, we've got pressure groups that are interested in this topic that are forcing the narrative. And they don't get me wrong, they have pushed the water sector. Over the next five years, the water sector is going to spend more than it's ever spent by far trying to resolve the storm overflow issue. And that wouldn't have happened without those grassroots and those those, community organisations and charities pushing government and pushing the sector to do things. So I think for me, the hope is that there are unexpected voices and there are young voices and that's the most hopeful thing i think for me part of these conversations about water and our environment and that will push us on that will catalyze change so that for me both you know within the uk but but globally i think is is where i'm most hopeful i think so that's
0: really interesting. So from a UK perspective then, let's, let's sort of talk about those particular challenges. So you've mentioned the storm overflows a couple of times. Talk to me about what's happening within that and how can we help from outside of the industry? What can we do to to help the water industry get this, you know, make this next move and get it right?
1: There are some really straightforward things we can do. The first thing, our toilets are toilets. They are not bins. And one of the big issues that we have is that some people treat toilets like they're bins. So they will put all sorts of stuff down a toilet. And you talk to anybody that's worked in wastewater or sewerage, and they'll tell you all sorts of crazy stories about some of the things that they found at at the inlet to sewage works. But on a practical level, you know, we've just seen a ban on plastic containing wet wipes, which is great, but it doesn't really matter. Wet wipes are not flushable. Do not flush wet wipes down the toilet. Put them in a bin. It's pee, paper, poo. That's it. That's the only three things that should ever go down a toilet. And then when you extend that to drains... Don't put fat down drains. Don't put grease down drains. Because even if, even if you, mm. uh, I shall mention no na- names, but my dad. <coughs> I pour some hot water into washing <laughs> up liquid, dad. Don't do it because it might not block your pipe, but it'll block somebody else's fiber. It'll block the sewer. You'll end up with these crazy fatbergs that we see. So for me, a really simple thing is pee, paper, poo down your toilet. Don't put grease or anything else down your drain. That in itself will make a big difference because the, the network Is not designed to cope with all these other things and it's not designed to cope with the kind of population increase that we're seeing coming so the sector are trying to do engineering things but those are the two really straightforward things you could do today that would genuinely kind of make a difference I guess really
0: it goes back to we need to strengthen community because we've moved to this to this model and I think we're so much worse off for it where we think as an individual rather than think of what the damage is to the wider community and I think if we went back to that community mindset then you wouldn't
1: do it because you wouldn't do it in case it affected two dollars down. I hope I'm not, I don't think I'm a cynic. I'm definitely still an optimist. But for me, I think where I've got to, my thinking is we've got to make it the path of least resistance for people though. It's got to be the easy choice, isn't it? Because for all of the altruistic people in the world like you, which is wonderful, Kate, lots of people won't think that. They've got other things going on in their minds. This is not the most interesting or important thing, quite understandably. So how do we make it the easiest choice? or the lowest cost choice or the best value choice or the normal drivers rather than asking people to go over and above. Because if it's complicated, you lose the sway of the people straight away, I think. Regionally speaking, let's talk about Yorkshire. We both live
0: in Yorkshire. What's being done locally in terms of water sustainability in Yorkshire?
1: So from what I, I don't, I don't work for Yorkshire Water, but I um, I know lots of good people that work there. And I live in Leeds. So I know a bit about what's happening in Leeds. There's loads of good stuff happening. There's always room for more. But I think one of the things I would say is Leeds as a city, actually, we've got a climate commission. And that's really interesting, declared a climate emergency, like many cities, having a climate commission with climate commissioners who are people from a cross section of the city and industry, but who are invested in what the region's doing is a really interesting, really important body to exist, really kind of you know, not political, but a place for thinking to happen. And then I guess if you add into that, there's some big challenges. So Hull is a really great example and one I know a little bit about because on Planet Possible, we've talked about Hull and the Living With Water project a couple of times. You know, Hull is a really fascinating city on the East Coast in Yorkshire. A lot of Hull is below sea level. And in 2007, it suffered horrific flooding, both from surface water and from estuarine flooding coming back in. And so they've been working on this extraordinary project called living with water, which is all about exactly what you've talked about, connecting with communities. So Hull has got some challenges. Economically, there are some areas of Hull that are quite deprived. And actually the view from the project, as I understand it, is you can't expect people to think about flood protection if they're thinking about food banks. So how do we grow community resilience and really help people so that then we can help them think about those other decisions that they need to make? So they've been working with organizations like time bank in hull where people donate time to help other people in the community they've been working with other organizations to put rainwater harvesting tanks on roofs they're like smart tanks so basically they collect water and then when a storm's coming those tanks in advance of the storm empty so that they create extra capacity for like mini reservoirs all around the city so that there's extra storage space so when you get high intensity rainfall You're not having all of that going into the sewers at the same time. You're slowing the flow of water down. So Hull are doing all these really interesting things. They're working with kids. They're working with the university. So it's a very kind of connected approach. They're working with other public bodies, you know, the Environment Agency and lead local flood authorities and the councils to really think as the whole of the region, how do we support the economic development of the city? How do we support the community resilience and also prevent flooding. And so for me, having an initiative like that, which is globally recognised in Yorkshire is a real beacon of positivity, really. So there's some great stuff happening in Yorkshire.
0: I definitely feel that. So we've launched Yorkshire Sustainability Week, which will happen in July, third to the seventh of July. And the the uptake in interest has just been brilliant. absolutely phenomenal, way more than I ever thought possible. And it is very much just that people are ready for the conversation in Yorkshire and ready to celebrate the great work that they're doing and showcase it to the world and get people to actually engage. And I think you're absolutely right, you know, we're in conversation with the Climate Commission about how we right. can get them involved yeah. in the week, which is brilliant. I'm so excited. To see what comes from that. Leeds City Council were straight behind us the minute we came up with the idea, and absolutely we will, really. we will make this happen with you. There's definitely an intention to make Yorkshire be seen on the national stage and the international stage as the place to be doing things within sustainability. I, hope so. um, I mean, I'm a comer in to
1: Yorkshire. Yeah. I still still sound like I'm not from there, but I've been there, I've very you know lived there more of my life than I've not, and I, I I share that pride. And I think for me, that added, you can't be what you can't see so actually how do we make stuff visible in Yorkshire really great case studies really great examples yeah unusual partnerships or connections or how we brought new voices into the conversation or just doing things differently and that's what Yorkshire Sustainability Week I think will be brilliant for is sparking those unexpected connections Mm. and giving real visibility to some of the great stuff that is happening but might be happening in pockets and the joy is in hearing all those conversations afterwards and and, oh I met so-and-so and and they're doing this and then I introduced them to and now we're going to go and try something together and I mean that will be amazing.
0: Because people are so great when they get together. People are phenomenal when they get together and when they learn about what other people are doing and how they can help. And we are a very kind and generous nation you know we're definitely a kind and generous region and we will support people and we will help people to find the relevant individuals that they need to speak to to make their thing happen and I think you know we touched on earlier about there's definitely a, ch- a sea in that we're hearing from yeah. youth a hell of it's a good, lot more it? than we ever yeah. used to and that's one of the things that we're definitely really keen to make happen within YSW as well Is you know youth are sitting alongside our experts right. on every single one of our panels so we will have panel discussions again much like the 17 they'll be focused on the UN Sustainable development goals i'm of the view that somebody more intelligent than me wrote some very sensible <laughs> goals and just yeah follow them rather than try to create any new ones you know so we're focusing on that but we're making sure that that youth voice is represented and that the young people whose world we're ultimately building yeah. are there at the beginning of the conversations to say yeah. this is what we need yeah. this is what we want this is how we need to be able to live in the future
1: yeah. having those conversations where all of the stuff that we for granted or we think oh yeah but that is the, we've, we've thought about it and it's the only way to do it younger people come to that with that like yeah hang on a second why you don't realize you're old yeah. you never realize i don't think i'm old i'd still class myself as young and then i look at my son and realize no no i am knocking on a bit these days and he asks all sorts of things that I just think, actually, that's a really good question. I don't really know why we do X or Y. And that's, for me, the joy of it. It's that fresh eyes, isn't it? But fresh eyes and that kind of confidence that you can do things differently. I just think the more of that, the better we need it.
0: Absolutely. It's a perspective that only young people can bring because they're not beaten down by the, Absolutely, it's been done this way for so long. They're like, and what? (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) Let's try again. Yeah. You know, which I think is great. I'm absolutely, I think that's brilliant let's do our best to actually answer the question then how do we work towards achieving goal number six of the UN's 17 sustainable development goals the core here is to ensure availability and sustainable management of water and sanitation for all okay nikki you're in charge here i want one action point but at every level let's
1: start with globally i think globally leaders and crucially, major institutions and organizations. It's got to go beyond government. Business have got to pick this up for there to be real change. Yes. I think they need to make the link in their own minds between water and other major, what I would call, drivers of change. So the link between water and energy, the link between water and climate, the link between water and conflict. And actually, I think you know, wars will be fought over water, wars will be fought because of water, We will see migration because of lack Mm. of availability. If you haven't got anything to drink, you're not going to stay living there. You're going to move. And that will inherently start to create all sorts of challenges. So bleak as that may sound, there are huge opportunities there as well. But those big drivers of future Mm -hmm. planetary change, climate, energy, conflict, are all completely interconnected with the availability of water. So for me, organisations and institutions not paying lip service to water, but really recognising how integral it is to solving some of those biggest challenges and also preventing some of those things coming to fruition would be really important.
0: So let's take that down a level then and we'll think about nationally.
1: So this is a bit controversial. So I should be very clear, like, yes, I'm a former president of SIWEM, which I'm very proud of. I have a role in the water sector, but this is my view, just to be very clear and not the view of anybody else. I think we need mandatory water meters across the uk in every home where it's possible to install one not for charging but to understand consumption and associated with that should be a smart yes hitter. i think a bit like you can't be what you can't see if you can't measure it you can't monitor it you can't make decisions i think part of people's lack of connection with water is the only way most people know how much they've used is to get on their hands and knees if they can And lift up a lid in the pavement outside the house and then, you know, get your torch in and get your finger on the dial on your meter and try and work out what you've used once every three months or six months if you've not got a smart meter. If you've got a smart meter, things are a bit better. But for me, there are so many homes that don't have meters. Therefore, we've got no idea how much water as individuals we're using. We make estimates about the the amount of water we use as a country, understanding what we consume is really important. And so mandatory water metering would be the thing that I would do if I could. Let's focus on regionally. I was reflecting on this in advance. And again, this is a very personal view and it's quite niche really. But I I think one of the things that would be really important if our approach to planning as a region was really, really connected with our climate change ambitions and we thought about water as part of that. And I guess the reason I say that is what I'm experiencing from building my own home, it doesn't feel like when we think about new developments that water is really considered. I spoke, I had a, the real pleasure of talking to um, the Right Honourable um, John Gummer, Lord Deben, a couple of weeks ago for Planet Possible, and, you know, he was talking about the challenge of home builders not being incentivised at all to think about things like water. I think if we could just think about how all of our future home building was really connected into the need to think about water as well as energy alongside things like mandatory water labeling that's coming that would make such a difference. So I just think at the moment it feels like planning, water, energy, they're all kind of little silos and actually building new homes and building new businesses physically. The physicality of building those things is one place where we could really bring things together, but there's just doesn't feel like there's the framework to do that yet.
0: Okay. So that's something for us to work on then. Let's create that framework. Yeah, (laughs) that'd be perfect. Nikki, just thinking about that global perspective, what do the world leaders need to be doing and what came out of the recent COP?
1: Yes, I mean, COP, I'm sure most people know, but just in case you don't, COP is conference of the parties and, and there are two COPs, if you like, that have been interesting to people in this space recently. So we've had the climate COP, so in 26, COP26 was in Glasgow, and we've had COP27 more recently. And then there's also the biodiversity COP, and we're at COP15 for that. And uh, that's been a sort of two-parter. What they are is trying to get global agreement on big topics. I am not by any means a COP expert, but we've done some great episodes of Planet Possible where we've talked about the Climate Cop and the Biodiversity Cop. So most recently I had a lovely lady called Margarita Babieri. She's a youth activist. So she works with the Arctic Angels who are a really interesting organization, definitely worth checking out. She's attended a couple of the Climate Cops now. It was fascinating hearing some of her reflections. And one of the things that she said is that at the Climate Cop, they had a Biodiversity Day, but at the Biodiversity Cop, they didn't have a Climate Day. And I thought that was really interesting. It's a really minor observation from, you know, I just said, oh, is there one of each? And she was like, oh, actually there wasn't. But I think for me, that that in itself is, it demonstrates you've got all the right people in the room talking about a topic, but not necessarily fostering those kind of connections and recognising, you know, gosh, climate and biodiversity are about as wedded as you can possibly get. And yet had these massive events that they haven't necessarily just thought about the links, and I recently interviewed the Right Honourable John Gummer, Lord Deben, who is the chair of the Climate Change Committee, and he is—he is extraordinary. Like, he, if you listen to nothing else from Planet Possible, go listen to that episode. K. honestly, he's just phenomenal. So full of energy and passion, and so knowledgeable. Obviously, the Climate Change Committee have been hugely involved in in writing kind of the government view in advance of these COPs. One of the things that really struck me from his reflections is there's insufficient action. And if you go back and you read the Climate Change Committee reports of the last five or six years, just read the forwards. And each of them is a call to action. The time to act is now. I think I'm almost quoting from most of them. And there's still insufficient action. There's lots of warm words. But um, when, when we think about the future impact on the way we live our daily lives of things like climate change, the nature crisis, the lack of biodiversity. It's not just like, a oh, if you want to go out for a walk, things might not look as nice, you might not hear as much bird song. It will impact our food production. It will impact daily life. It will impact the levels of migration that we're seeing from all sorts of parts of the world. Don't get me wrong, I'm not anti-migration by any stretch, but actually just cramming any more people into smaller spaces will always create conflict and tension wherever that happens in the world. And also, Nobody wants to move unless it's a choice. You don't want to be forced to migrate, do you? So for me, things like conflict and food production and migration are massive potential impacts of not getting these decisions right and not being bold enough and not acting. So certainly what I heard from, from Margarita and from Lord Deben were quite sobering reminders that it's great that we have these get-togethers and there definitely is action, don't get me wrong, but it's not bold enough, it's not fast enough, but it's very, very difficult to get international agreement on some of these things so it's it's really important that we keep holding people's feet to the fire on them i think
0: we aren't moving fast no. enough and i think that's one of the things that we, we definitely we need to see everybody who has a skill set adapting their skill set mm. to support this industry to make things go at a faster pace because otherwise we're going to be at 2030 before you yeah. know it and then we're going to be at 2050 before you know it and then yeah. we've run out of time
1: it's individually thinking I can do something. What does that look like? It doesn't need to make life more difficult, but I just need to be mindful of it. A little bit more mindful and making some slightly better choices. That might be as small as turning the tap off when you brush your teeth, if you don't do it already. It's tiny, tiny things thinking a bit more about where you're buying things from, maybe buying less fast fashion. It doesn't need to just be about water. There's loads of things that you think about the amount of water that's used in producing clothes. It's huge. The very first episode of Planet Possible, somebody talked to me about a hair shirt, Kate. Have you ever heard of a hair shirt? No. Great. That makes me feel better, right? But the point being, you don't have to wear a shirt made of hair just to be a good, you know, it doesn't need to be itchy and uncomfortable to be environmentally <laughs> sad. You can just make better choices. And I think for me, how do we get our manufacturers to make it easy for people to make those better choices? Because the products are better and they're affordable and they're available. And, you know, it's not just about... The kind of crazy people like me who want to build low, low carbon and low water footprint homes. There's all sorts of things that every single person listening can do right now when they stop listening that will make a difference. It, you don't have to be attending a COP to make a difference to the world.
0: One of the things that I made a pact to myself I would do this year was, cause I love clothes, I'm really into fashion. I made a pact myself, I wouldn't buy anything from a fast fashion brand ever again. Good for you. Brilliant. So at the beginning of this year, I enacted that package. I was like, right, that's it. I'm not going to buy another thing. So what I've been doing is buying off Vinted. A little shout out for, for Vinted here. Mm-hmm. It's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And the little bargain hunter in me. Oh, my God. I'm, like, getting things for a fiver. And I'm like, yes, thank you very much. That's great. Like, it means that I'm going to wear it from, for years because I always like keep my clothes forever and i only ever buy certain brands so i know the quality is you know of a high caliber etc cetera, etc cetera. but i'm not even buying those on the high street anymore i'm buying them straight off vintage. Perfect. so 10 out of 10 recommend good
1: for you <laughs> well, that's exactly it make it easy make it chime to whatever lever you want so if that's yes. you know good price perfect if it's really easy to do you can do it on your phone whatever it might be let's remove the inertia yeah. let's and that's where we need new voices new entrepreneurs creatives coming into the sector and recognizing actually this is the space that you can be if you want to make some really important changes for the planet and use your skills at the same time it doesn't need to be you don't need to be working in you know so digital is a perfect opportunity to do stuff for for the environment sector it's perfect there are all sorts of things we can do how do we reduce the inertia how do we make it easy for people to make good choices and what are the enablers it's all of those other skills isn't it that we need to talk about so you don't need to be A civil engineer, by all means, there's some very cool civil engineers out there, but you don't need to be a civil engineer or somebody attending COP to make a difference to the planet. Far from it. Right. Final question is
0: always at an individual level. So it's stop and start. If you could ask everyone listening to stop doing one thing and start doing one thing right now from today that will make a difference, what's that going to be? All right. The stop is really easy.
1: Please even if you only do it occasionally, please stop using your toilet as a bin. Please. Love you, Lou. Don't put anything except three peas, Pee, paper, poo. That's all that should go down your toilet. And then start. What can we start doing? Well, look, there's two. One is a kind of general thing and then the other is a bit more specific. The The general one is start valuing water. Just start thinking about it a little bit mm. more. Being a bit more mindful of it and see whether that helps you make different decisions. So I know that's not quite as tangible, but I do think we need to start doing that. But a very practical one, if people fancy doing something at home with a little bit of DIY, but not too much, disconnect your downpipe. If you really want to do something interesting, take the downpipes off your gutters if you're able to do it, and put it into a leaky water butt. And what a leaky water butt does is you can use the water for the garden if you've got one, and that's brilliant. But if you even if you haven't got a garden, that's absolutely fine as long as you've got somewhere you can connect a water butt to your downpipe and then what they'll do is they'll slowly release water back into the system either into your garden or you can connect them into your drain but they release water slowly and what that means is you're not putting stuff into the drains that doesn't need to be there we don't need rainwater to go into our drainage system we can absolutely deal with that more locally so if you can disconnect your downpipe that would be my thing to start doing (laughs)
0: Oh, very interesting. Okay, lovely. Right. That's a brilliant way to end, Nikki. Thank you so much. Thank you for being my first ever guest.
1: It's my absolute pleasure. A
0: final plug for Planet Possible. (laughs) Go on, tell
1: us where you can... uh... Where you can find Planet Possible on all your major podcast players or planetpossible.eco. Yeah, if you fancy amazing guests talking about everything that's water and environment related then yeah come check us out and thank you so much for inviting me on kate it's been a real a total joy for me sitting in front of this beautiful lock in scotland where i am talking about water i could think of very little better that i'd want to do so yeah thank you
0: thank you so much to everyone for listening to the 17 we really appreciate your support we're a new podcast looking to grow so please hit the subscribe button on your podcast provider and please do leave us a review and tell your friends about us remember if you want to know more about yorkshire sustainability week in july you can go to yorkshire sustainability Week.com. on there you can get tickets for the conference which will feature keynote speeches from the likes of Ariba hamid who is the exec director at greenpeace right through to the founder of green and black chocolate joe Fairley. that's all for now we'll be back on the 17th of may with episode 2 of the 17 thanks so much
1: the 17 is produced by bulb BWLB Bulb. The best ideas, the strongest content.